I believe, you know, I wasn't able to he- be here for the whole time last time, but, you know, I think one of the things that Pastor Gaynig stressed, uh, Mary being the kind of the template to holy women in Scripture, I mean, uh, in, in life, and as you read these uh, stories of these women, you will hear echoes of Mary within their own lives. If you didn't say that, you know, that's what I say, and I think that, that's, a, that's a good way of trying to of these people's lives in a way that you can then begin to apply to yourself. Now, Sarah is an Old Testament character. She uh, was the wife of Abraham. But one of the interesting things is if we take Scripture slowly and we take the biblical narrative slowly and intentionally and closely, and we often move stories along too quickly... And so hopefully today we'll have a chance simply just to slow down, take a look at the story, and see some of the richness and the um, complexity and the variety of layers that God has in store for us. Sarah is actually introduced in Scripture in Genesis chapter 11, 26. 11 chap- so, yeah, so those of us who have Scripture, open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis. All right, so Genesis chapter 11, Sarah comes into the story. Now, Sarah, not called Sarah, her first name actually, and we'll take a look at this in a second, is uh, Yiska, the name where we get Jessica from. Uh, But we actually, it's kind of hidden in there. But then we jump very quickly to uh, Sarah, and then finally we get her name in Sarah. uh, Sarah. Um, So where most of us say, Oh, man, it's redundant. And if I were to turn this into my English teacher, you know, they would scratch that out. You're being redundant. F. Um, the Bible does that on purpose. So just in case we don't think she's blessed, she's actually doubly blessed. Okay. All right. Um, excellent. Very interesting. Okay, good. You know, everything you've said so far is something that I think that's what we've all been taught about. And that's why I want to read the scripture slowly today, so that we see something maybe that is right in front of our eyes, but we've never seen it before. Okay, so let's try this. First of all, Sarah slash Sarah is the means in which Abraham is saved. Sarah becomes the means in which Abraham is saved through Egypt. Egypt, uh, Abraham and Sarah go down to Egypt, and he says, you know what? Just tell people you're my sister, and everything's going to go well for me. My soul will be saved. Now, she actually was his sister, by the way. Not as we think about sisters, but she was the daughter of his uncle. And, and they reference relatives differently back then. So, you might say, oh man, he's, he's telling a lie or something. But he, he's actually not being that unfaithful. All right, Sarah bears the promise in her body. Okay, and this is where, as we had read scripture and we saw that, she will become nations. God speaks and she's pregnant. This is interesting. Curiously, there's no mention of Abraham knowing Sarah. Angels come, or God comes and says, hey, this is going to happen. A year later, it does happen, but we have no mention of Abraham knowing Sarah. Does everyone know what I mean by knowing? Okay. I heard you had a very interesting conversation last week about that. We're going to try not to get sidetracked with that, okay? But 
it will actually come up again. Very strange, but it's all, I mean, the Bible, you know, well, never mind. The Bible is full of interesting things that we find are, are you know, not PG rated. All right, God speaks, she's pregnant. Curiously, you know, there's no mention of Abraham knowing. And because of her, I mean, because of her age, uh, Jewish rabbis uh, labeled this as, as the greatest miracle of the Old Testament. Not that you guys want to look this up, but I, I gave you the reference. Sarah's tent now in Genesis 18 becomes an image of her body. See, her body welcomes God's word into it. And she welcomes God into her tent. What's interesting is Jewish thinkers, Rashi is a famous Jewish commentator. Uh, the tent was the place where the glory resided, and there was actually a cloud that, according to Jewish tradition, a cloud was stationed over her tent, always, until she died. And then, the ta- the, then, then the cloud came back to uh, reside over Rebecca's tent. That same cloud would finally land in the tabernacle, in fact, uh, there's a great quote where it says that Sarah's tent is the seed for the temple. The place where God's glory resided in the Old Testament is the temple. But that all began with Sarah. And so Sarah's body and Sarah's tent are uh, analogous with one another. So as God's presence in his word occupied her body, in the promise of Isaac, it was it was shown in the cloud that re, that hung over, not a not a sad cloud, but a divine presence cloud that resided over her tent. So her her body was the tabernacle of God's promised child. All right. So hopefully you're, you you know you've seen these connections now instantaneously with Mary. Okay. Question. Yes. Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. When, um, yep, there you go. Yep. No, it's not. It's just a Jewish tradition. This, w- this is an ancient tradition, though, and this would be something that a, a first century Jewish person would have kind of as part of their their uh, folklore, their, their kind of their spiritual piety. Yeah, thank you for, I meant to, Write that in there. Some of the things I've mentioned today are are not in Scripture. They're just part of ancient tradition. And so, you know, we kind of take it for what it's worth. However, the analogy holds still, if you are willing to use the, the, the whole of Scripture to help you interpret this section, because what we find out is that women who bear God's promise, are very, the, it happens very often in, in Scripture. The most concrete way of how that happens is usually with a child. So you have Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, who, for anybody before Christ, were the you know these were the three matriarchs of their faith. The God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how most people reference the faith in the Old Testament, and that's how Jesus even talks about it. So you know Moses is sort of mentioned. And David, obviously, is mentioned, but not in the context of how we say parenthood or fatherhood or, or motherhood, like uh, the, the patriarchs were, the three patriarchs. Like, for instance, I think I might have it written in here, 
Jewish tradition says that when uh, um, Sarah gave birth, her hair turned black from gray, and she had no pains in childbirth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. I mean, there's no mention of it in scripture, so, you know, they kind of fill in the spaces. But, but the whole point is that, you know, this is a miraculous event. I mean, she, her, her hair didn't need to change, and her uh, pains didn't need to uh, not be there in order for this to be something special. I mean, she's really old, and she's birthing a child. Okay. Um, one of the interesting things is in Genesis chapter 18, when Sarah responds to God's word, she says, man, after all this time, now I'm going to have my pleasure, which the word pleasure in scripture can uh, be taken a variety of ways, but I'm just going to keep it, we'll keep it small. We won't talk about the robustness of that word. Um, but it comes from the same word as uh, Eden. So finally in my old age, she has her Eden. So her pleasure, however you want to take it, I would take it simply in terms of the bearing of God's promise, um, is her Eden. Is her pleasure. Obviously, that's a Hebrew word that we don't, I mean, does anyone know Hebrew like the back of their hand? They, they wouldn't necessarily make that connection, right? So, unfortunately, uh, you know, maybe the Lutheran Study Bible mentions that. I don't know, but my Puba edition doesn't mention that. But anyways, that's a very interesting note. Does it yes. Yes. Yeah, this is this is all the Old Testament background. Yep. This would be a kind of an archetype for that notion. What we find out though is it, towards the end, it's not um, as we begin to apply these things to our lives, even to men, but most especially to women, it doesn't have to mean childbearing, but it means bearing, bearing God inside you, the divine presence, bearing Christ in you. So as um, at the end of the, the study today, I have three columns, Sarah, Mary, and you. And um, as you bear God's promise, you become, in a sense, a t I left it as teaching, but it could be a mother. You could understand your terms in, a, in as a motherhood, even if you weren't married and didn't have any children. Is that as you bear God's promise, because all the women in the Old Testament that bear God's promise become teachers or leaders. Well, you know, so Sarah, who does she teach and lead? Isaac. Who does Mary teach and lead? Jesus. So then the question would be, as bearers of God's promise in your bodies, the presence of the divine presence, the Shekinah, as the Old Testament would talk about it, but in the New Testament, we would talk about the Holy Spirit, Jesus in us. Um, then women have this reality that they're going to live in. And it's, teaching, it's leading, it's teaching. You become very active and engaged in God's will in your life. Um, obviously, for mothers, it becomes, you know, you know, it's kind of very right there because you have your children to lead. But even for, for women who aren't married and have no children... It's beside the point. So, yeah, so in Timothy, that's where, that all, that, that's where the ideas come from. Good question. Good connection. Didn't even think about that. Um, so Sarah's joy is her son. That's where we come with laughter. Laughter takes uh, three forms. Well, literally the son, Isaac, he laughs. Um, then the, the notion of joy. 
and then also the notion of mockery. And um, they all come from the same root word, making fun of, would be the mockery bit. So um, Sarah and Hagar are, are in the mix of all this because as we see, Hagar looks with contempt on her mistress, which means Sarah. After she bears Ishmael, she mocks, she mocks Sarah. Um, so it's a play on words of laughter, or Isaac, or Isaac. Um, Sarah was the mother of God's chosen people, a nation. One of the interesting things, again, that's not in Scripture, but it's just mentioned now that she's in her old, she will nurse children. But how many children did Sarah have? Yeah, it, well, it's kind of a trick question. <laughs> she had many. She had a whole nation full of them. Uh, it, it, when they went into uh, uh, Amalek later, it, Abraham pulls this trick with telling people that Sarah is his sister twice, once in Egypt and then once in the kingdom of Amalek. And in Amalek's situation, you know, people are struck with certain ailments. And Jewish thinkers said, well, one of the ailments was women couldn't nurse. So Sarah has this abundance of, of uh, giving of herself, of her body, while women around her don't. So all children had to come to Sarah to be nurtured. Well, that's, that's what, that's what Jew, it's true that Jewish thinkers say that. No, but the, the, weird, the, the peculiar thing is, though, is that Scripture says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, well, here, let's just look at it. In Genesis uh, 2017, 21, 21, verse 7 on my little sheet. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that, that Sarah would nurse children? So the, the, the presumption is she'll have many children, or like she'll have more than one, at least. But the, you know, the record is uh, only one. So either Sarah's lying there, or she had other children that we don't know about. And so what does that mean? And so Jewish thinkers. The whole, the whole point, though, is that there is a direct correlation between Sarah and her person and the rest of the story of Scripture. Okay? But what's the fundamental point? This is the Shekinah, the glory, the image of God that's in Sarah, which echoes Mary. The union of God and man is a woman's body once again. Pastor Gainig last week made this point abundantly clear. And, and why does that matter? It's because... God's story is the same forwards and backwards. So when we hear of God telling the story of Mary, and then we hear it echoed in, you know, in the Old Testament, then there, there should be something there for us who live in the New Testament time. So the radicalness or, or the amazing aspect of the story of Sarah, I'm sorry, the story of Mary, then echoed in Sarah. I know for those of us who have problem with chronolo- you know, linear thought, the whole notion that Mary's primary and Sarah's secondary might be hard for us because Sarah came first and Mary came last. But for maybe those of us who are okay with time being flexible, that might make sense. But if anybody watches Doctor Who, come on. No? Okay, never mind then. 
Yes, we should all watch Doctor Who and find out what biblical time actually is. Anyways, that's beside the point. So this whole notion is that Mary is primary. She's the ultimate bearer of God's promise because she bears in her body the Messiah. But Sarah, too, then also bears God's promise in Isaac. And then now for those of us who are later, even those who are past the childbearing age, God might have something very special for you in bearing God's promise. It probably is not a child, but it's something that's directly correlated to the Shekinah in you, the, 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 the divine image, Jesus in you, through the Holy Spirit. And then also, too, this is, I guess this is kind of a note for me, specifically, is that Abraham's story is only told with Sarah, and I mentioned that before. So in the Old Testament and now also in the New Testament time, men won't bond with, and I think that I use the word Shekinah, with the she- um, so the divine um, glory, the, the image, the glory of God. Men need that. Women and men are not separate, but are, are directly connected, which then means God's presence uh, you know, that's exemplified in Abraham and Sarah means a blessed communion, which obviously then echoes how Jesus gets inside you. I mean, we use the word communion, holy communion. So, again, this is all echoed in this story of Abraham and Sarah. Now, one of the great things is that Carol mentioned that Sarah was beautiful, easy on the eyes. But that comes from her name, uh, Yiska, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 26. And Yiska can be taken two ways. It can be taken as um, active, meaning one who sees. It can be passive, one who's seen. And the one who's seen, we, we would describe as being beautiful. But the one who sees is a seer. So we have... Someone who's beautifully inspired. She's beautiful and she's inspired. She's able to see things that other people don't see. Um, Yeah, again, now I'm just going to bring this up. This is just all Jewish thinking, but it does give us food for thought. Is that because of what God has done for Sarah her level of prophecy is superior to Abraham. Which is kind of interesting. But that, that's not widely accepted. That's just, you know, there's a few uh, thinkers from the Middle Ages who thought of that. But the whole notion is that Sarah is very engaged in this plan of salvation. She, in a sense, she doesn't take a pack seat. All right? Yes? Uh, yeah, I, yes, so now, now you got to ask yourself where this all comes from. It, it comes from the Bible, which is very fascinating. I, yeah, exactly. In fact, um, I don't think I put that in here. What happened on uh, Wednesday? Rosh Hashanah. Guess what story is read on Rosh Hashanah? Sarah. So the new year begins with Sarah. Time begins with women and the birth of a child, so, which is very not unlike our own Christian year, Advent and Christmas and the beginning of our life together.
Mary. Yeah. Submissive. Submissive. Subservient. Subservient. There you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah, see, now this is where, you know, if we take a slow, if we slow down and see scripture, we'll realize that, um, yeah, that's true. I mean, for, for those cultures, absolutely. It's sort of analogous to scripture, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't equal scripture. Um, but scripture does talk about how women do have a kind of a, a unique role in, in life, and that, that's okay, that's good. Um, and it would be one of, of kind of nurturing. This is the whole point of where I said, you know, Sarah's tent and her body are, you know, analogous, is because her tent was her, is the home. Okay? Um, I'm not saying that women's place is in the home. That's why I want to talk about her, her bearing the promise in her body, and that as women participate in the world, wherever they're at, whether it be at the home or at work, she still bears that, that promise of God in her body and thus has a unique role in the world to carry on uh, God's word. So, um, as you start meditating upon uh, uh, these, these kind of truths, you'll find out a lot of connections in life. And many more than we could ever just you know, talk about here in the next few minutes. But that's the whole point. Hopefully we're opening the door to something you haven't thought about before, and as you take it home, you think about it. Um, Carol. Right. Yeah, now, what's the first question that the visitors ask them? Ask him. Where is your wife? No offense, Abraham, but I'm not here to see you. I want to see where your wife is. Now, that's actually true, though. I mean, we all think he came, they came to see Abraham, and, he, and they did. I mean, this is the whole point. There's not, it's not, we don't want to create a false antithesis, which we naturally do, which I think a lot of people have kind of taught us to see Scripture as a false antithesis between a man and a woman's world. But we find out in these, this circumstance that these visitors show up. Yep. Yeah, uh, so, so let's, let's, we already, we already kind of, Open that door a little bit when Abraham says, "Well, hey, what about Ishmael?" Like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. So we we already we already understand that you know uh, I'm sure this is going to be evident for everybody in the room, but men take a little while to catch on sometimes. <laughs> so so you know. Anyways, though, but speaking of this though, uh, we we you know this whole notion of when. Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham. For most of us, our, our moral bearings go, what? This is terrible. But for some in the Old Testament, uh, this would be, now, this would be a while ago, is that they actually see it as a sign of self-sacrifice. She, they, she basically gives up herself in order for this promise to happen. Now, the reality is, is she's wrong. I mean, that's true. I wouldn't necessarily read any kind of intent into the story because we have to presume, based on what we've already, that we kind of know about Sarah, is that she's seen something that needs to be done and she's going to engage in that. Because the reason would be why, why, you know, so yeah, did she not trust? Uh, sort of. 
but not in a way that she she thought was you know she was better than God. She thought she was actually fulfilling what God had in store for her. Um, but then God obviously showed up and said, "No, that's not that's not right." Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is a whole different uh, society and culture where uh, Abraham was obligated. Well, had the responsibility to actually marry marry Sarah. Yeah, Holly. That's what some Jewish people say. It's very it's very interesting. Yeah, I I, I the the water's muddy on that issue. But but see well, how people connected to self sacrifice is because she was willing to give up herself in order for this promise to happen. What did her son do? He was willing to give up himself. Uh, now, this is a whole different story, but Abraham and Isaac, we all imagine Isaac being a little kid and Abraham grabbing him by the neck and taking him up the mountain. In reality, Abraham is a very old man. If anybody knew Harold Lang, that's about how old Abraham was. And, and I guess how old Isaac was. 20s. He was in the prime of his life. So, you know, I mean, I know Abraham was a pretty cool guy and all, but I'm taking Isaac over Abraham in a wrestling match. So Isaac actually showed faithfulness, willing to sacrifice himself. The son of the father gives up himself. So Jewish thinkers would say, where did he learn that from? Well, he must have learned it from Sarah. Well, where in scripture did Sarah show that to Isaac? In, 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 the, in the moment of Hagar. Now, I, I'm not willing to uh, write dogma on that interpretation, but it does sort of fit. But it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, again, I, I haven't been doing this so far, but hopefully we hear the Mary in the background. I mean, you know, Jesus learning from Mary the notion of, because what does Mary say to the angel? Let it be unto me. Exactly. That is, that is a divine, that's, that's like the divine passive. You know, she's, she's giving up herself in order for God to live and, and take over. Um, okay, I, I think we got a few more things here. Oh, oh, so now the beauty part. Okay, we talked about the inspired part. Now we got to talk about the beauty part. The beauty part is um, in a way that we don't think about. It's not skin, but it's the presence of God. It's the beauty. It's the goodness of God who resides in her and shows forth to Abraham. And where people have seen that is in the trip for down to Egypt. Abraham says, now I see. Well, I mean, did he not see it before? Now he does. So the idea is that uh, Sarah reveals the, the Shekinah, the, the glory that's in her. And since Abraham sees this beauty, he knows now he is safe. So the beauty of the woman in, in, uh, in this circumstance is because she bears God's image in her body. Now, yeah, now I know. Yep, now I see. Actually, the whole, yeah, the whole, under, the, the whole word for know is a very interesting uh, thing, too. But we won't. That could be another study. Because knowing and seeing, knowing and revelation are all connected. So, 
as, as we see here, though, is that um, Mary and Sarah, I mean, Sarah is the first to attempt to heal the wound Eve created. But as, as we see from Scripture, even from our own thoughts, she isn't the one who fulfills the, I mean, fulfills the wound. And when I, when I write fulfill, I mean fulfill. That she's not the one who fills it up with what's going to make it better. Obviously, from last week, we see that Mary's the one who heals the wound from Eve. So while Sarah mimics Mary, we see that because Isaac isn't the one who brings the kingdom of God into existence. Jesus is, you know, who will bring Eden back. Sarah isn't the definitive bearer of God. She's simply a sign that points to Jesus. Points to Mary, points to Jesus. Rather, she's the receiver of Mary's story, which means Sarah's story is fulfilled when Mary shows up. So we have Sarah. Oh, by the way, Sarah means princess. She's a a line of royalty. Mary's the queen of heaven. They're both women. The the virginity and the, uh, the inability to bear children mimic each other. They're bearers of the promise. The glory incarnate in Jesus, the Shekinah. Beauty, favored one. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if Pastor Gainig mentioned that, but those are connected. Beauty and God's favor. You can ask him about that. Um, mother of Israel, mother of the church. So wrapping up, since Sarah's story is only fulfilled when Mary's story is told, perhaps we're encouraged to see the bigger picture, which means our place in this story. If this story is told backwards, then it could also be told forwards to you today. So the miracle of the virgin birth is echoed in the miracle of a birth to a very old woman. And, you know, this is the point, is that God is speaking to you still today through the preached word, through the sacrament. And he's probably not telling you a miracle like you're going to have a child. I mean, for some of us, maybe. I don't know. But, right, for some of us, you know, that would not be a good thing. But, um... And maybe for Sarah, you know, well, she does use the word pleasure, but anyways. So, so what we find out, though, is that since God is still speaking to you in your circumstance, and perhaps you are in a place in your life where you find out, you know, so Sarah, think about it in terms of um, metaphor and anecdote, is that Sarah was at a point in life where she couldn't have children anymore. And this for her was something important because she was supposed to be this one who was going to carry on God's uh, family. But something else could be in your life. Something else that where God comes into your life, shows up unannounced, makes this statement to you through his word, and now your life is changed. A miracle has entered into your life. It could be, it could be a surprise. It could be whatever. But the idea, though, as Mary let it be unto me and Sarah received it eventually in joy, the laughter and the joy is turned into joy, the same challenge would then be for you as women as God speaks to you and, and says something that might seem strange, out of the ordinary, or impossible. Which reminds me. Last week, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, is anything for there's nothing impossible with God? God said the same thing to Sarah. What's the big deal? There's nothing impossible for God. So the same thing would be then for your own lives, is that as God approaches you, as Jesus approaches you in his word and his sacrament, you 
you have to keep them in the back of your mind. There's nothing impossible where God can do something different in your life to lead you in paths that you have yet to tread. And this is important because Jesus in Mary demonstrates that God won't save the world without women. And the same is echoed in Sarah. And that, that's actually good for me too because um, when we say our prayers to God and say, hey God, why don't you do something about hunger? And God says, hey, I did do something. I made you. Um, what we find out is that there's a great mystery in our faith is that God won't save the world without us. He includes us. He incorporates us into his divine presence and his divine plan. Did it in Mary, did it in Sarah, and he does it with you. There's no, there's no like option. That's just how he does things. And as, as a woman, as we read scripture without those false antithesis being it's a man's world, it's a woman's world, but we see this as a blessed communion, that will enliven each one of us, not only men, but also women, to walk in the paths that God has set before you, to engage in the works that God has already planned for you. So, um, yeah, I just said that. So as, as we take a look at this, we see Sarah, Mary, and you. Everyone's a woman here except for me. We're all bearers of the promise because God has made promises for you. The Shekinah in the Old Testament, Jesus with Mary and the Holy Spirit with you. Beauty, favored one, and I, I, put, I just put beautifully inspired for all you. You led Isaac, Sarah led Isaac, Mary nurtured Jesus, and you are holy women. And when you read the book, you will find out that these holy women lead people. They lead sons and daughters. They, they nurture those who will be kings of the world. And that, that's one of the great things about Sarah and God's promise. There will be kings that come from you. Royal children. And obviously, we are royal children because we are sons of the Most High God. Um, and as you are uh, participants in that kingdom, then you, in fact, become those who lead the sons and daughters of the Most High God. So, um, you know, you know I, I, as we read Scripture, we read it slowly, and we find out some of these you know, older teachers who've, who've learned things about Sarah that maybe we haven't heard, Hopefully that will enliven us to see how that story is not only inspiring, but also very practical. Anyways, any questions? Nancy? Yeah, well, let's pull it out. Let's pull it out. Yeah, that's good. I, I'm glad you asked because I, 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 we have a couple minutes here so we can. Yeah, Genesis 11, 26. So Terah took Abram, who you know will become Abraham, his son, and Lot the son. Oh, did I, I wrote down the wrong one? Sorry. Let's move down. Thirty-one. Chapter eleven, verse thirty-one. I thought there was twenty-eight verses in chapter eleven, and I knew it was okay. Good. So, I am sorry. Thank you very much. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law. Okay? His son Abram's wife. So we have um, Sarah is the daughter-in-law of who is what you need to ask. Okay? 
And that's where things get complicated. So um, Abraham took uh, Abraham and Nerhor's, Nerhor's took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nerhor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the wife of Milcah, and Iscah. So we got Haran. I, I, read, I read it. So I started with 31 to find out who Haran was. And then I moved back up to 29. Sorry. Moving quickly. You figure that out? Yeah, it, it's, it's a family tree there. Right. Exactly. Because he only had two daughters. And since Abraham married one of those daughters, and Milcah was the wife of, uh, what's his name? Uh, then that means Abraham had to have married Iska. Yeah. So, e so either uh, he had more daughters that aren't mentioned, and Sarah was one of those, or Iska and Sarah are the same person. Yep. Peculiar. I'm sorry about the, the scripture reference mess up. I apologize about that. Sometimes I trust my memory a little too much. It did take me about five times to read that over, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. You just have to... If the names were John, James, and Larry, maybe it would be a little easier to figure that out. So, All right, any other questions? Yes? Right. Well, yeah, no, I, I built that upon the word seer. So the question, yeah, iska is, is the word for seer. And seer in the Old Testament is always one of, of prophet. A seer is a prophet. And so... Since Sarah is a seer, the question would be, how does she actually fulfill that? And so, so the thinking is, she was active in this already as being a seer. Yep. But you are right, though. You know, I, I took it as a presumption. These are all divine passives. God is the one who's working in each one of these women's lives. That's exactly right. So thank, yeah, thank you for reminding me that. Any other questions? Uh, it was probably a Jewish rabbi from way back when. Rabba? Yeah. Rabba or Ra Rashi? It's just, it's just a dude. That's all you need to know. It's a dude. <laughs> the references where I get that, though, is from Midrash, the Talmud, and the, and the uh, Zohar. Does anybody know what the Zohar is? That's the Kabbalah, which is a little mystical Jewish, Jewish uh, thought. But I, I think it's kind of fun to read. So, so Midrash is, is um, a commentary on the Pentateuch that all Jewish rabbis need to learn. And then the, the Talmud is, is more kind of explanation. Um, and then uh, the Zohar is this mystical reading from the Kabbalah. Yeah. Yes, 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 that's exactly right. Uh, there was also an Adam Sandler movie with Zohar, but I don't want, we, that's a terrible movie, you should never watch it. <laughs> but a big is nice, yes, right. Yeah, no, good, hey, good, good reference. Yes, right. That's exactly right, yes, he was a seer, he was a prophet. Yep, good, hey. It's all connected. Big, Adam Sandler, Sarah, Jesus, and you. Cindy. No, actually, um, 
Yeah, you know, that's one of those things, right? Especially what, you know, when, when it comes about where, yeah, we're, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Now, this is a very interesting word. Um, so, Abraham says, you know, hey, let's use Ishmael. God says, no, we're going to use uh, Isaac. We're going to use uh, Sarah. Hagar at that moment already has looked with contempt on Sarah. So Hagar, rather than being one of thankful, being a thankful woman, can someone let the kids in? I'm running a little late. We will welcome our children in so that these girls can get to chapel on time. Yes, they cannot be late. Hey, boys and girls. Thanks, ladies. We'll see ya. Walk quickly and swiftly. All right. Um, where was I? Oh, Hagar. Hey. So Hagar, um, Hagar looks with contempt. Yeah, it's okay, Elizabeth. Thanks. Oh, bonk. Come on, buddy. So Hagar looks with contempt on Sarah. And, and rather than being thankful, uh, Hagar now is taking on this persona that, hey, I'm the rightful one to bear this promise. So now, uh, come again later, and Sarah is a little upset with Hagar. And if, just a second, sweetie. (laughs) If Hagar is petitioning Abraham's attention and allegiance and love, you know, this is where the muddy waters of Old Testament morality come out. She sends her away. And what God says to, because Abraham's like, no, 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 wait, what, you know, what about my son? Just understand, what's his son? He wants to care. And then what does God say to Abraham? Do whatever. Now, this is a very interesting quote, because we have another person who says, do whatever he says. Yeah, Mary says the same thing, which is, which is a fascinating thing. So, if we use Mary as a template, Mary throws her thing to Jesus, because Jesus is the one who's mover and shaker, and Abraham throws it to Sarah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's not much said about all that, so that would be kind of speculation on Pastor Nelson's part, but, so don't take that too seriously. So anyways, for some reason, God says just do whatever. So I don't know why God would say that, because if, if Hagar is going to be let out to expire... Well, what's the great thing? Yes. Yeah. He'll take care of her. So, there's kind of a happy ending. Right. Shows up. Right. Yep. And that's, a, that's it. That's all the Bible says. So, and I, don't know what, I don't know what to say besides that. It's not a clear answer. Well, that's exactly right, but I think one of the great things is that, you know, we have this tendency to think when our lives become complicated and messy, we look to the Bible for very clear-cut answers, and all of a sudden we find more of the same, which is actually, to a certain extent, very reassuring to us that God actually understands what we're going through. It's not just you. Yeah, exactly. All right. I'm going to turn my mic off.